The following pre-recorded program is paid for by SSI Guardian. Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg. With your host, psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, Living Well with Dr. Peg explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics. Brought to you by SSI Guardian, Living Well with Dr. Peg shares effective and practical psychological strategies based on biblical principles for living well. To learn more about the show or Dr. Peg's mental health consulting and publishing services, visit drpegradio.com. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Episode of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, brought to you every week by our sponsor, SSI Guardian. And we're coming to you from Denver, Colorado on 94.7 KRKS and streaming around the world at 947krks.com. And you can also download the KRKS app to listen on your smartphone. But if you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, be sure to go to drpegradio.com. That's D-R-P-E-G radio. For the program archives. Well, October 10th is World Mental Health Day, and October is also Bullying Prevention Month. And we're going to be talking about both of these topics today and how depression, abuse, dating violence, and corporate bullying all contributed to my guest, La Tanisha Wright, becoming suicidal. And it's a, a privilege to have on the show with me today Ms. LaTanisha Wright, who is a former big tobacco marketing executive and author of the memoir, Corporate Bullying Saved My Life. And she's also the founder of Follow the Signs, whose aim is to reduce tobacco-related disease, disability, and death by increasing awareness of tobacco industry retail marketing practice, practices and to motivate youth and adults who are enduring stress, bullying, abusive and unhealthy relationships, and other life challenges to practice resilience. LaTanisha Wright, thank you for being with us today, and welcome to the program. Thanks so much. I met you several years ago when you came to Denver to deliver your Follow the Signs presentation, and I have to say it really was one of the most compelling presentations I've ever attended, and I've been to a lot of presentations that are often death by PowerPoint, but you presented a, a very visually engaging multimedia and um, definitely packed full of information. Um, so just a wonderful uh, presentation. I would encourage anyone who's involved in tobacco prevention and awareness to reach out to you. It's just an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you. Well, your life epitomizes the two topics that are being recognized in the month of October, mental health awareness and bullying prevention, and um, really maybe not two topics people might put together, but they really are related. And you experienced a, a perfect storm, so to speak, of trials and tribulations that led you to ultimately becoming depressed and suicidal. And you wrote about these experiences in your book, Corporate Bullying Saved My Life. And those are experiences that you had with stalking and dating violence and childhood sexual abuse, corporate bullying, death threats, and even attempted murder. And your book just starts off pretty dramatically uh, where you share how you were suicidal. Can you can you 
tell the listeners kind of how you got to that point. Sure. Well, Chapter 1 begins on July 16, 2004. And during that time, I was single in my mid-20s, and I worked as a marketing executive for the tobacco industry. That particular day was beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful Friday afternoon in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was alone in my apartment. The only people I'd spoken with on that afternoon were my pastor, the assistant district attorney, and my immediate supervisor. Well, 20 days earlier, I was attacked by an ex-boyfriend. His name is Hollis Gadsden. After the attack, I went through several stages of shock, denial, anger, fear, and then depression. Well, the attack left me broken from inside out. And the only things I could do were pray, go to physical therapy, and think about my situation and how I got there. Well, thinking about my situation led me to recount physical and sexual abuse that I had suffered during different times in my life. And on July 16, 2004, the combination of physical injuries, emotional scars, and the financial problems that surfaced as a result of the attack by Hollis seemed too much for me to bear. On top of that, I dealt with intense work-related stress, and sadly, I viewed suicide as my only option. Mm. Wow. And there's probably listeners right now who can relate to what you're talking about. Um, any one of those things that you've gone through and that you write about in your memoir might lead a person to think suicide was an option, and certainly multiple stressors, one on top of the other, one after another, after a lifetime of struggle, certainly could lead someone um, to, to feel the way you, you were feeling. What, what can you share with listeners who might be relating to you now, who, who maybe even are contemplating suicide right now? Well, you know, people who, who have suicidal thoughts in many cases, they don't want to die. Mm -hmm. They just want the pain to go away. And it's important to understand that feeling suicidal is often associated with problems that can be treated. In many cases... A suicidal crisis is preventable, and the feeling is almost always temporary. Mm -hmm. So if there is someone out there that is suffering with suicidal thoughts, I recommend they call 911, go to the hospital, get emergency care, or call a trusted friend. Wait for help. During the time of, of these thoughts, don't use drugs or alcohol. Make sure your home is safe. If you're a gun owner, remove the gun from your home. Um, if you're suicidal, the, the most important thing for you to do is stay alive. Take one moment at a time. And, you know, people can also call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is 1-800-SUICIDE. Mm -hmm. Such excellent advice. And, and you're really tapping into so many critical issues that when someone is in the depths of their despair, they don't have the clarity of or presence of mind to really remember the things that you talked about that most people really don't want to die. As you said, they're just in so much pain and they want it to stop. And this is one thought they have is how they can get that pain to stop is to end their lives. Uh, but often for many people, even though your problems may not go away immediately, that that pain is often temporary. Those, those thoughts are often temporary. And if you can just hold on for now, um, some suicide prevention training I've taken talks about staying safe for now. Can you stay safe for now until you can, as you said, get rid of any weapons in the home or um, call for help or, 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 or get intervention. So many of these problems are treatable, and uh, there's hope. Right. 
right, that is hope. Mm-hmm. Well, talk about how you got started in the tobacco industry and what were some of the early signs that something wasn't quite right? Because we're really talking about two topics today. One is mental health awareness and suicide prevention and recognizing signs of depression. And then the other is bullying, which often, especially for young people, they often go hand in hand. A, a, a student might be bullied at school and become depressed and perhaps suicidal. So let's talk about um, how you got started in the tobacco industry and some of the signs that something wasn't right and how that ultimately led to you experiencing corporate bullying. Right. Well, in Chapters 2 and 3 of Corporate Bullying Saved My Life, I discussed my decision to work for the tobacco industry and the challenges that I faced. When I decided to work for Brown and Williamson Tobacco, I was 21 years old. Mm. I had no idea what I had signed up for. I didn't know the history of the tobacco industry. I had no idea how corrupt the industry was. And during the first day of my training, I was told to keep company secrets secret. I was told not to discuss daily operations with anyone, including my friends and family. As a matter of fact, I was advised to watch the movie The Insider, which is a thriller based on a true story about a former Brown and Williamson employee that built secrets and concurrently received death threats. Brown and Williamson made his life a living hell, and they were clear that if I told secrets, they would do the same to me. Mm. Um, it, it was a nightmare. This industry does not value life. They don't value the lives of their retailers or their customers. Um, or their, you know, own employees. They use young people, especially recent college grads, to market a deadly product to the young and the vulnerable. And it's a horrible industry to work for. I don't recommend anyone work for the tobacco industry. Mm, wow. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about um, some of the ramifications of you speaking out. And also, I'm going to have you back on my program in November for the Great American Smokeout, and you'll talk even more about some of those recruiting practices and hiring practices and HR practices uh, in that program in November. But certainly um, you say a key thing there, that they kind of prey on the young and vulnerable, and that's an intentional strategy um, for, yes, for their corporate is. hiring. Yes, it is. You know, the my time working for the tobacco industry was like an abusive relationship mm. with a partner that held me hostage. Mm. You know, I wanted to quit the day that I started, but due to a hidden clause in my contract, I had to remain with the company for three years. Mm. Wow. And so it's interesting that you draw that parallel there, that it was like being in an abusive relationship because you have it, had a history. Um, you, you, As you just stated earlier, the start of your memoir um, talks about just having been attacked by an ex-boyfriend. And so um, what what were some of the earliest early signs with that relationship that you knew something wasn't quite right? Because really that's what we're talking about. Prevention and awareness is recognizing signs early enough to do something about it, to intervene, whether it's talking about corporate bullying or dating violence. Exactly. Well, you know, the, the guy that I was dating was 25 years old. Again, his name was Hollis. He was a youth minister at the church that I attended, and we dated for a couple of months. But shortly into the, or the beginning of the relationship, I started to see red flags. You know, he had unpredictable mood swings, a hot temper. He would give me threatening stares. Um, every time he did something wrong, he would apologize. He would pray. He would cry. He would ask God for forgiveness. But, you know, after two months of dating and forgiving him over and over again, I, I said, you know, enough is enough. I just let him go and moved on. Mm. 
So those are important signs to recognize. It's such an important topic for young people, not just women like yourselves, but I think also young men, as they're often the ones who are perpetrating the violence. And we need to talk to and educate our young men of these are behaviors that are inappropriate and unacceptable. Uh, But certainly recognizing some of these red flags for young women would be important as well, just the unpredictable behavior, the mood swings, um, and then the the violent acting out, but then being really remorseful and apologetic uh, afterwards. Uh, We're going to continue our our discussion with LaTanisha Wright, uh, former Big Tobacco marketing executive and author of Corporate Bullying Saved My Life. And listeners, I want to remind you that I offer webinars and workshops and seminars for your church or business on recognizing and managing mental health problems. Go to my website, drpegradio.com, to learn more about them. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, SSI Guardian. Don't go away. We'll be right back. One needs to look no further than today's headlines to understand the threats facing American schools. They remain soft targets for violent threats, and yet our schools go largely underprepared. Our children deserve the highest level of education in the safest learning environment possible. The SSI Guardian QAL, or Quick Action Lockdown, is the fastest and safest way to lock down a classroom. This revolutionary device provides schools with maximum locking protection while meeting all safety, fire, and building codes. Designed by the leading lock experts in the world, the QAL is the only lock that meets Department of Homeland Security primer recommendations. SSI Guardian QAL now makes classroom lockdowns fast and safe with the red button. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the best classroom protection. Take action today by calling SSI Guardian at 877-878-5800 or go to guardianprotect.com. That's guardianprotect.com. To learn more about living well with Dr. Peg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Law Tanisha Wright, former Big Tobacco marketing executive and author of The Page Turner, Corporate Bullying Saved My Life. You can learn more about La Tanisha and her book at followthesigns.com, and that's follow-the-signs.com. And so, La Tanisha, you were talking about uh, the dating violence that you experienced and with a man who happened to be a youth minister. So that right there tells us here you're a believer. Here he's a, supposedly a man of God uh, working in the church with our youth, no less, but he was showing some of those red flags. Uh, you talked about just the unpredictable behavior, mood swings, and a very common pattern when someone uh, is an abuser, they'll they'll act out violently and then immediately be remorseful. And that was the case with Hollis as well, wasn't it? Yes, it was. You know, a month after we broke up, I ran into a long-lost college buddy named Macau, and we rekindled our friendship. Well, during that time, there were a few instances when Hollis popped up in the places and at the events that McCall and I were attending. I mean, he even showed up at my house without invitation, and his mood swings and hot temper continued. Well, two months after we broke up, I returned home late one night after attending a wedding, and as I made my way through the parking lot to get to my apartment, Hollis blindsided me. He attacked me with, the, with intent to cause seriously, serious bodily harm to, to kill me. Mm. 
And, you know, I suffered several different injuries, a concussion. I suffered with a spinal, knee, hip, wrist, shoulder, and ankle injuries. And it was only by God's grace that I was alive. Now, when I dated Hollis, I hoped that he could prove that all ministers weren't bad because I had a history of having these bad experiences with ministers. But instead, what Hollis did was he opened the box of ghosts and lost suppressed memories from my childhood, and I was forced to face my childhood. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm so grateful that you're willing to be so transparent to share your story today and to have written about it in your book, Corporate Bullying Saved My Life, um, because we we know... Any woman is vulnerable. Um, We might have some things in our past that make us more vulnerable, but anyone is vulnerable to being attacked, and it's not their fault. Um, You're a graduate of the prestigious Spelman College, which is an all-women's college um, in Atlanta, right next door to Morehouse College, which is a historically black college for men. And my son, incidentally, is a recent graduate from Morehouse and I know that the women of Spelman are on the top of their game. Um, how does an intelligent young woman with such a bright future end up becoming the victim of dating violence? Well, you know, I, I believe that the dating violence that I went through as an adult was linked to all of the abuse that I suffered throughout my childhood. Mm. Um, you know, I was raised in, in Fort Worth, Texas, and my mom and dad, they, they married young. My father was a Baptist minister. He was well-respected in the church and the community. He was a model airman in the U.S. Air Force. However, below the surface, he was an alcoholic. You know, he would tear up the house and and drag my mother across the house. He was an unfaithful husband, promiscuous. He had several outside children, and he was most violent after church. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember one time he raped my mother, you know, right after church in front of me and my brothers. And I was four, three or four at the time. A month later, they divorced. But the abuse continued. I mean, first he sexually abused my mother, and then when I was six years old, he sexually abused me. And, you know, when he abused abused me, it was late on a Saturday night. He was drunk. The next day we got up and went to church. Mm. Um, You know, and it took me a very long time to tell my mother about this situation. I was 10 years old when I told her. Um, She was recently remarried, and... And I told her and my stepfather, look, four years ago, my dad molested me. I drew the pictures, and I was very detailed, and I let them know he hurt me. Well, my mother's response was basically forgive and forget, and that was it. And that was all the help I received, and that was not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, soon after, my stepfather bought a new home for my mother, and before I could get settled in my new bedroom, my mother sent me to New Mexico to spend the entire summer with my father, and I was heartbroken. And for the first time in my life, I considered suicide. Mm. But my mother taught me forgive and forget. And I thought she was right. I was a young, a a child. Mom says forgive and forget. That's what you do. And so I tried to suppress those memories, and that did not work for me. And it just happened that, you know, after I graduated from Spelman, I I desperately yearned for a strong, loving relationship. And instead, I received a few short-lived abusive relationships, but, you know, it was the Hollis situation, the Hollis attack that pushed me to realize the correlation between my failed relationship as an adult and my childhood abuse. Mm -hmm. And once I made that correlation, once I linked those things together, I made the decision to confront my parents about that abuse. Wow, that had to have been tough to be such a young child. And and your, your story is 
I'm sure resonating with so many listeners. And unfortunately, it's a common story uh, for a young child to be abused. Uh, and for those brave enough to um, speak out and tell someone, uh, often the response to to their disclosing what has happened is just yet another um, another violation. And it sounds like with your mom not really um, supporting you and being there for you um, is was just a violation all over again. Uh, but it's not. And, it's and not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt. It, it just was a violation. You know, it it, it was a, a horrible thing for her to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the problem that I've had, and I discuss this in the book as well, is that I became angry with her. Mm-hmm. Very angry. Um, my father raped her. I didn't understand how she didn't see the possibility of him sexually abusing me. My father was allowed unsupervised to begin visits with his children when he did not seem fit. And I didn't understand why in the world, after I told her that he molested me, why did she send me to spend an entire summer with him? You know, I, I wanted her to explain some things to me as an adult. I wanted her to apologize. Mm-hmm. But again, her approach was forgive and forget. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry? Go ahead. Um, you know, I'm down, I'm down, totally down with forgiveness. You know, the, the mm-hmm. Lord forgives me for my sins. So I understand forgiveness and I want to forgive. But, you know, the problem I had was forgiving. You know, when a person, for example, has a leg amputated, they don't forget that they had legs and toes. They learn to live without that leg. And when a person has their innocence stolen, they don't forget and they shouldn't be expected to forget what has been taken from, taken from them. They should just learn they should learn how to live a healthy, productive life after that abuse. And that takes a very, it, it, it's a very long process. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You know, the Bible commands us to forgive. And yet um, the Bible often says, remember, 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 usually the goodness that, you know, the good things God has done for us. But that's not, it's not biblical. And it's certainly not um, psychologically sound <laughs> To tell a child, just forget about this. And the more they suppress it, usually the more it impacts their lives negatively. But it sounds like uh, this history of abuse normalized your experiences with abusive men as you grew older. And it's possible, I don't know if you've ever talked with your mom about this, that perhaps she was abused as a child herself. And so all of this was normal to her as well. And that's not unusual. Again, part of what makes you vulnerable to being a victim going forward is that having been victimized in your past makes it seem like this is normal. There's nothing I can do. I need to forgive and forget. Right. You know, my mother, I, I've had that conversation with her, um, asked her many times, were you abused as a, as a child? Were you sexually abused as a child? And she said no. Um, but I do know that she was sexually abused by my father, you know. So I love my mother. I don't want anyone out there to think that I don't love my mother. I love her for all the good things she has ever done for me. But part of loving her is accepting her and understanding how she operates. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not an excuse, but she, she does not handle conflict well. And I've had to learn that healing for me comes from understanding. Mm-hmm. I understand that she might never change. And that's her cross to bear. It's not mine. And I understand that I can't. I can't make her do what I feel is right. And as difficult as that is, and as much as it hurts sometimes, I'm never going to give up on her. You know, she raised me. I will honor her the best way that I can, but I have to set boundaries with her. You know, she'll, she'll probably never be 
my go-to person when I'm dealing with serious issues or when I'm dealing with some type of conflict because she just does not handle conflict well. Mm-hmm. And I think you're you're hitting on a key there to really understand who she is and to accept her nonetheless and honor her as your mother, um, but to take care of yourself by setting good boundaries. All of that makes makes sense. Now, again, we can see the connection between um, being the victim of dating violence related to your history of child abuse, uh, but certainly you had some wonderful relationships in your life that possibly were part of how you survived. Uh, Talk about any friends or even church members. I know you said you had some disappointments and betrayals by the church and pastors, but who were those positive people in your lives that probably were the buffers? You, know, you talk about resilience as one of the missions of Follow the Signs, your business, Follow the Signs. Um, how did your re- relationships play a role in your re- resiliency as a youth and young adult? Well, as you know, the relationship with my father, it was abusive, and he was never a positive role model in my life. Um, and I, I had very few positive male role models. Uh, there were three. My grandfather. He was the epitome of love and hard work, easy to talk to, a very happy person, always smiling. He loved his family. He loved the Lord, and he taught me what to look for in a good man. He always gave me Bible verses and inspirational quotes. He was the only father figure that I have ever had. Um, also, my older brother, he, he was the only, he is the only family member that understands what I go through with my parents and how ugly the battle with them has been. And he's always there for me. He motivates me and, and, and helps me to keep my head up. Right. And also... And La Tanisha, friend, let, let me interrupt you because we're going to go to a break here and we'll hear about more about your grandfather, your older brother, and that third person in your life that made a big difference for you. Uh, my guest today is La Tanisha Wright, former big tobacco marketing executive and author of Corporate Bullying Saved My Life. Living Well with Dr. Pegg is brought to you by SSI Gardner. <laughs> With SRN News, I'm Ron DeRockstrup. Donald Trump says he will, quote, never abandon his White House bid, and even as a growing number of Republicans are calling him to do just that following the release of lewd comments caught on tape about uh, 2005. Running mate Mike Pence says he was offended by the words and actions. Hurricane Matthew now a Category 1 storm with top sustained winds of 75 miles an hour. Matthew is currently buffeting Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and Wilmington, North Carolina, The storm's blamed for at least nine deaths in the southeast and at least 470 in Haiti in one district alone. Authorities searching for two men who crashed a stolen car and then held employees hostage briefly at a McDonald's outside Tampa, Florida. The employees are all safe. One of three men involved in the stolen car surrendered at the restaurant. No customers were involved. This is SRN News. Hi, this is Willie Dan with Stanford Funding. Rates are still near all-time lows for 15-year and 30-year rates. With the election on the horizon, depending on which way the election goes, rates could skyrocket out of control. So hurry before it's too late and call Stanford Funding at 303-458-8200. At Stanford Funding, we have all kinds of programs to fit your lending needs. 30-year rates in the mid to low threes for refinances and purchases. 15-year rates in the upper twos. Cash out for debt consolidation, home improvement. 3% down payment, purchase money 
loans for that first-time homebuyer trying to break into the ever-competitive Colorado market. And we even have bank statement programs for those self-employed borrowers that make money but have trouble proving their income. So call Stanford Funding now at 303-458-8200. Apply online at StanfordFunding.com for the wrong candidate is elected and rates skyrocket out of control. NMLS 306720. Credit score 620. Loan to value 90%. Hello, this is Pastor Jeff, and I consider it a privilege to preach the Word of God to you every day on the radio. But I would like to invite you to personally come and worship the Lord with us. Harvest Bible Chapel is now conveniently located in two different locations. Our Inglewood campus is just a mile west of I-25 in Hamden. Currently, we meet in Inglewood Saturday nights at 5 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. We now also have a Broomfield campus that is located at 3400 Industrial Lane right off the Boulder Turnpike. Our Broomfield campus meets every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Whether you are new to the faith, checking things out, or a seasoned disciple, we invite you to come and worship the Lord with us. For more information about any of our ministries or locations, please visit our website at www.harvestdenver.org. Again, that's harvestdenver.org. I'm looking forward to worshiping the Lord with you soon. You are loved. To learn more about living well with Dr. Pegg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is LaTanisha Wright, former big tobacco marketing executive and author of the book, Corporate Bullying Saved My Life. She's also the founder of Follow the Signs, which is dedicated to reducing tobacco-related disease, disability, and death by increasing awareness of tobacco industry retail marketing practices. Learn more at follow-the-signs.com. So, LaTanisha, you were talking about how your grandfather and your older brother made all the difference, that you've been through so much but have been able to be resilient. And that's really the message of of our interview today. With all that you've been through in terms of childhood abuse, dating violence, disappointments, betrayals, corporate bullying, you're still here. Um, So tell us about uh, that third person that made all the difference after your grandfather and your older brother. Well, Macau, he, he has been my friend since college. And in Chapter 9, I discuss how my relationship with him shifts from a friendship to a romantic, loving relationship. Macau was patient, loyal, protective, kind. He defined what every woman should expect out of a man. I mean, he was, he was, he was just an example of the perfect man. He gave me unconditional love and support. He was there for me after Howard attacked me, and he was there for me when I was suicidal, and he was there for me when I felt betrayed by the church. And, you know, after I went through the attack, I felt like I was going through a spiritual battle because I was in the process of changing my life in a positive way, and then this attack happened. Mm. Um, so, you know, after the attack, the day after the attack happened, I called the pastor of my church and I spoke to him about what Hollis had done to me. And during our conversation, I made it very clear that his youth minister had hurt me physically and that physical 
pain and hurt, those injuries had caused, caused financial strain. And before I could even ask him for help, before I could ask the pastor for help, he recommended that I drive to the church and have a three-way meeting with him and Hollis. And I'm like, okay, you're my pastor, and this guy just hurt me, and you want me to come sit at a table and talk to him? Uh, that pastor said that the devil made Hollis attack me. You know, he had no intention of firing Hollis, and he didn't mm. for several years. And, you know, that just really pushed me over the edge. I already had an issue with corrupt ministers. I had dealt with several of them, including my father, throughout my childhood and, and throughout my life. And for the pastor of this church, a church where I am a tithing church member, a member that serves in multiple ministries, for this pastor to just shut me down like my life didn't matter, hurt me deeply. Mm-hmm. You know, but the good thing was the members of the church, uh, the, my friends at the church, they gave their tithes to me to help me overcome my financial obstacles. And they really helped me, prayed for me, and helped me to get through that time. And, you know, it's, it's to this day, I have an extremely difficult time trusting ministers. You know, for, for many years, it was difficult for me to step foot into a church. But the good thing is, I always maintained a relationship with the Lord. And I'm so glad that God hears me anywhere, anytime, mm-hmm. and any place that I need him. Mm-hmm. Amen. Wow. So, uh, again, your experience is something that many listeners, I'm sure, can relate to, people who've been abused in the church, literally abused perhaps by a person of faith, you know, a leader in the church, or spiritually abused. And I've heard this a version of your story many, many times um, especially when women are married uh, to their husband. You you were in a dating relationship, but I've heard many stories of married women who are being abused by their husbands, and they go to the pastor for help, and they go to the pastor for counseling. And I believe often out of ignorance, um, many pastors may not have actual counseling experience or education or psychological knowledge about the cycle of domestic violence. And they quote scriptures about women submitting to their husbands and dismiss the woman's um, pleas for assistance where her husband is beating her and send her right back to that abusive man. And so it seems like there's, there's a version of that, that phenomenon happening in, in your experience and it's it's quite unfortunate it's very detrimental i've seen women just devastated when bad enough they're being abused by their husbands but when they go for help from the pastor from the church they're just dismissed and minimized right and it's just it's a horrible thing to deal with Mm -hmm. and you know as a result of just everything combined getting hurt by a minister um, as an adult, getting abused by a minister as a child, and then going to my pastor for, you know, advice and, and for help and being turned down, it it really took a toll on me. You know, I suffered with insomnia after the attack, mm-hmm. dramatic weight loss, hair loss. I didn't trust anyone. I had nightmares for a year every night. Mm-hmm. I had a fear of going outside. I suffered with post-traumatic stress syndrome for a very long time. 
You know, I actually went through what, what you might hear older people call the long night of the soul. And that's basically when you feel forsaken by God. You feel lonely. You feel depressed. You feel like no one understands you. No matter what you do, it seems like nothing seems to work. And the long night of the soul can last for several months or even years. And my long night of the soul lasted for two years. Mm. Um, you know, sadly, not even a year after the attack, Macau died tragically in a drunk driver-involved motorcycle accident. Less than two months later, my grandfather had a stroke and died. My oldest brother was serving a five-year prison sentence. So, you know, these were the men in my life that were helping me get through my problem, and I didn't have them. You know, it was a very long, lonely time. So after a two-year period... And just when things started looking up, I was diagnosed with fibroid tumors, mm-hmm. which are, you know, they grow in the uterus and they impact the women's ability to have children. They are very, they cause heavy, painful menstrual cycles. And the doctors don't really have um, an explanation for why, you know, every other black woman out there gets fibroids. But I believe that it had something to do with the stress in my life. And, you know, from 2004 until 2009, I was a fragile person. I, I couldn't start any new relationships, um, and I didn't want to. You know, instead, I took very care of me, only me, and I allowed myself time to heal. And while I allowed myself time to heal, I also allowed myself time to dream. I had conversations with God. I decided to turn every single negative in my life into a positive and I did this by writing Corporate Bowling Saved My Life. And I also started a small consulting firm, Follow the Signs. And doing these things helped me to survive my long night of the soul. It helped me to, to live. It saved me. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's just incredible. Um, again, just all of the things that you've been through. And many of us in our lives have been through you know, one or two tragedies or things that we would say might be traumatic, but it seems that almost anything a person could think of that might be traumatic, you've experienced, and yet you're still here. I praise the Lord. Um, You talked in your book about actual experiences with angels, and you, you talked a little bit already about dreams and visions and how those experiences impacted you. And many people don't think angels are real. Um, but what would you say to them? Oh, I can tell you that angels are real. You know, when I've had my, my fair share of experiences with them, you know, after the how the attack with Hollis, after he attacked me, I began dreaming of angels. In particular, I dreamed about an angel named Michael, and he can be found in the Bible in the 12th chapters of Daniel and Revelation. And the nights that I dreamed about him, I slept throughout the night. I felt protected. And one night I had a dream that he was with me on the night of the attack, when, you know, Hollis attacked me. I had a dream that an army of angels was with him, and they cried out in anger anger, uh, during the attack and protected me from suffering from life-threatening injuries. You know, and, and that dream just helped me to understand that God's always with me. He's always watching me. Um, he hears my cries. I feel like God sent his highest angel to protect me. And the most blessed thing of all is that he, God let me know 
you know, I was battling the spirit of suicide during that time. And after I felt that dream, I felt that spirit leave. Mm. And, you know, I've not only had dreams of angels, but I've had past loved ones, uh, you, you know, that, that are my angels now. Uh, they're angels in heaven. I've had past loved ones visit me in dreams. And, you know, actually two days after my grandfather died, he came to me in a dream. And he said that when he died, he was just following orders. He said he walked so far that he walked out of his body. He told me to publish my book, to take care of my mother, to read certain Bible verses. And, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but when my grandfather died, his legs were, move, were moving up and down like he was walking. Hmm. The, the bed was shaking so hard that his legs had to be held down. That dream for me confirmed that even when loved ones pass on, they're still with us. They still love us. They're still guiding and protecting us. And that is such a magnificent blessing. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's so much pain and heartache in your story. And yet um, I find myself smiling as you're speaking that your your testimony shows us that God truly is close to the brokenhearted, that he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And he communicates with us to let us know that he he is with us he does dispatch his ministering angels to tend to us and care for us and protect us and fight for us and so what an encouraging exciting uh, testimony and I thank you so much for your transparency and sharing uh, your journey and and you write about it in your memoir corporate bullying saved my life my guest today is Latanisha Wright former big tobacco marketing executive Uh, And we'll be right back after this message from our sponsor, SSI Guardian. Um, I want to remind listeners that I offer workshops and seminars for your church or your business on recognizing and managing mental health problems, dealing with bullying, um, keeping yourself and your loved ones safe. You can go to my website to learn more and to register for any of my upcoming workshops at drpegradio.com. Again, my guest is Latanisha Wright. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor, SSI Guardian. Schools can no longer afford not to invest in a professional evidence-based advanced safety education training program. It's the single most important decision and investment a school administrator will ever make in their professional career. When all else fails, training and preparation are the only things that will increase your chances of survival in a violent incident such as an active shooter or active terrorism. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training programs tailored to your needs. While there are many basic training programs largely based on opinion and emotion, SSI Guardian is the only advanced training program of its type with an accredited continuing education unit or CEU issued by an accredited university. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training and solutions to learning institutions, faith-based and professional organizations. To learn more, call SSI Guardian today at 877-878-5800 or visit guardianprotect.com. To learn more about living well with Dr. Peg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Lachanisha Wright, former big tobacco marketing executive and author of the Page Turner, Corporate Bullying Saved My Life. 
Uh, you can learn more at followthesigns.com. That's follow-the-signs.com. And I was telling La Tanisha that um, I couldn't put her book down when I was reading it, and certainly listening to um, her share her story today really has me on the just the edge of my seat and not, not in a way where I'm kind of, you know, um, enjoying your heartache, La Tanisha, but really just being inspired by knowing that you've come through so much. But I, I hear the resilience in your voice and I hear the encouragement that God is with us and, and he's close to us. And so I thank you. Um, your your book is for adults. Um, there's a little bit of language in it. And I think um, because you're so transparent and so honest and open that, yeah, there's some areas that are a little raw. Um, but I still encourage listen, uh, listeners to read the book that um, if you can overlook one or two, <laughs> one or two adult words here and there, uh, the story is just so um, transparent, and um, I cried, you know, when you, I, I didn't know if you were going to share that Mikel had died, um, but um, not not knowing that was coming just hit me so hard, and so I think you tell your story in such a compelling way that we can really relate to you, and we can see ourselves in your different aspects of your story, and to know that you overcame those challenges, uh, that you are still here, you didn't give in to that spirit of suicide, uh, you didn't um, crumble under the corporate bullying that you experienced. And so thank you again so much for sharing your story. That's my pleasure. Well, tell us a little bit about the corporate bullying and how you overcame that, because that's the title of your book, Corporate Bullying Saved Your Life. So talk th- talk about that. Well, you know, I've dealt with workplace bullying in just about every job I've ever had. Uh, in 2004, shortly before I resigned from Brown and Winston Tobacco, the company launched an illegal marketing campaign that targeted African-Americans and youth. It was a blatantly racist campaign, and I was totally against it. Well, you know, as an employee, I secretly played a role in getting the product removed from the shelf. I also played a role in, 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 in helping uh, policymakers to sue the organization. Um, one thing that happened when I was working for the tobacco industry, um, was, there was a lot of sexual harassment, uh, just, just a lot of problems with, you know, just within the company. There were problems at retail. My job was to basically go to retail and build relationships with retailers. There were problems there. I was constantly exposed to uh, prostitution, public urination, uh, anything grimy, you know, anything grimy that you've ever seen at retail, drug abuse and all that. Um, I was frequently exposed to that, and there was constant harassment. And uh, while I worked for the tobacco industry, there was there was no, even though I reported certain issues and uh, reported harassment, there was no protection. Um, so you know, it, it was just it was a horrible situation for me to be in, mm-hmm. a horrible you know job for me to work, especially since I had so much going on already in my personal life. Right. And so, how in the world did all of that harassment and bullying? In working in such an unpleasant environment, corrupt environment, how did that save your life? Well, you know, it, it, it got to the point in my life where I had to make a decision to live or to die. Mm. And in my mind, the only way I could survive, knowing I had been through so much in my life, was to use all the negative to help people. Well, when I was thinking, what can I do? How can I help people? How, what, what, what exactly can I do? I thought about my work life. 
And I thought, well, you know, if I'm going through bullying at work, I know there's other people going through bullying, you know, not, not just at work, but at home and other places. I can actually fight the tobacco industry. I can go out into the public and explain to them why they shouldn't work for the tobacco industry, why they shouldn't use tobacco products. But at the same time, I can address life's challenges because that's one of the reasons why people use tobacco anyway. Mm. So I said, you know, let me use this as a platform. Let me use this negative job uh, position. Let me use all these negative things in my life to help other people. Mm-hmm. And that's really, that's how I survived. That's, mm-hmm. still, that's still how I survived today. Because mm-hmm. I can imagine there might have been some guilt involved in working for a corrupt industry. Um, and so one way to deal with that guilt is to make retribution by, as you said, turning those negatives and turning your, taking your insider knowledge of the industry to actually help people fight against um, the, the corrupt and the um, life-threatening influence of tobacco and nicotine. Exactly. You know, the tobacco industry, they are people who use tobacco. Every other person that uses tobacco will suffer and possibly die from using that product. And that, for me, is something I didn't know when I decided to work for the tobacco industry. I didn't know how I would contribute to disease, disability, and death. So for me to be able to take all of the information that I learned to help other people, you know, you're absolutely right. That, that helps to relieve a lot of the guilt that I have for working for the industry. Mm-hmm. And there may be people listening right now who have a cigarette in their hand right now as they're li- listening, and we by no means want to condemn those people, but to educate them and to, um, as as you said, I hadn't thought of um, cigarettes as in the same way as other drugs or alcohol that we know many people do what psychologists call self-medicate. And so they may already be suffering from depression or PTSD or other, other life's challenges and are using cigarettes as a means to cope without realizing or, or, or fully embracing the fact that that very coping strategy is killing them. Exactly. You know, tobacco use harms nearly every organ in the human body. And also nicotine is more addictive than heroin. Mm. It's one of the world's most addictive substances. Uh, you know, and, and the tobacco industry knows this. They do not value their customers' lives. So, you know, if you're going through something in life, it's important that you own your own battles. You make sure that you take care of your body. You take care of your health. You take care of your mental state, your spiritual life, because no one else is going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. And listeners, you can mark your calendars for November 12th, uh, the Living Well with Dr. Pegg show, Saturday, November 12th, 1 to 2 Mountain Time, because LaTanisha Wright is going to be back on the show again uh, for the Great American Smokeout, and she'll be sharing even more information about the damaging effects of cigarette smoking, and more importantly, or just as importantly, how you can quit. She'll offer some tips and strategies and resources. So mark your calendars for Saturday, November 12th for that broadcast. So what we, we, we've heard how you've taken those negatives in your life, and that, that's really a um, kind of a template for anyone listening 
you can take those negative experiences, those those traumatic experiences, those betrayals, um, the violence perpetrated against you, and turn it around um, for for the benefit of others. And the Bible even says that God uses all things together for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So this is part of your destiny, um, part part of your purpose in life, it sounds like. It, it is. It, I, I completely agree with you, you know. But I want people to understand, people that are that might be listening, that might be suffering from depression, I want them to understand they're not alone. You know, everyone at some point in their life, they suffer from depression or some other mental health challenge, you know. And the thing is, especially with depression, you can't beat yourself up. It's important to identify the source of the depression. Keep it real with yourself. You know, it, it, you, it, it's like, let's say you eat something bad. If we eat something bad, then whatever is in us that is bad or toxic has to come out. It's going to come out of our bottom, out of our, not our bottom, but our system <laughs> one way or, or another. Uh, the same goes with negative and traumatic experiences. If we go through something negative and traumatic, we have to get those things out of us. Um, you can do that by talking it out. You can do that by writing in a journal. But no matter what happens, we have to understand that we only have one life. And in life, half of our life might be good and half of it might be bad. I mean, life is full of ups and downs. But it's important that when we have downs that we're prepared for that downtime. I mean, it's important that to have your favorite scripture, post it around the house, have those inspirational songs and books and movies that, that always seem to make you feel better. Have those things ready for your downtime. We never know when, when depression is going to hit us. We just don't in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to eat, you know, keep your blood sugar stable. It's important to get outside, get some sunshine, because that can boost your mood. Um, it's important to exercise. Go to church. You know, like you said, help someone worse off than you. And you might have a need to go to the doctor. You know, but there are different ways to deal with depression. There is help out there. Mm-hmm. You know? Thank you but so much. And you're, you're talking welcome. about resilience, which is one of the missions of your organization, Follow the Signs. Uh, being prepared, that's such good advice. I don't think I've ever heard it quite put that way. If we know life is filled with ups and downs, in life we will encounter trials. And so if we're prepared for those downtimes, as you put it, whether it's through our faith, through the relationships around us, and through those healthy lifestyle practices, it makes all of the difference. I thank you so much, uh, La Tanisha Wright, for sharing your story with us today. Uh, Thank you for your transparency. Thank you so much for having me. And I know your story will make a difference. Uh, listeners, you can go to followthesigns.com. That's follow-the-signs.com for more information about La Tonisha Wright, about her book, and all of the resources she has available on tobacco prevention and resiliency. Uh, my guest today has been La Tonisha Wright. I'm Dr. Peggy, Peggy Mitchell-Clark, reminding you to live well. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. Living Well with Dr. Pegg is brought to you by SSI Guardian, who has set the new standard in advanced safety education. 
If you'd like to learn more about the show, our sponsor, or mental health consulting and publishing services, visit www.drpegradio.com. Remember to join us every Saturday at 1 p.m. on 94.7 KRKS-FM for Living Well with Dr. Pegg.